0: All right, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, chapter 2 really in verse 4, and as we've seen already and talked about, the background of course is Solomon having married all these foreign wives, really disobeying God's word, and as he got older, these wives turned his heart astray, 1 Kings 10 and 11, especially chapter 11 speaks of them turning his heart astray. And so he, he turns to idol worship. He maybe in some ways to, tries to do both, but um, turns to idol worship. And as that affects him terribly, um, he really turns and starts to try to find meaning in life apart from God. And we have that phrase in the first chapter, under the sun, and really pointing to, you know, just this world. And him trying to find peace, meaning, joy, or happiness in this life apart from God. And it still is just striking to me as we've begun, as I continue to read, how very much different this is than Proverbs and really other parts of Scripture. Even he had access to the Psalms, even the Mosaic Law or the the Pentateuch, the first five books, and different things we'll continue to look at to see the contrast Um, where so much of that is, is just absent, so much of it is not there. And sadly the damage, sadly the destruction to him spiritually that occurred through this terrible sin and really the effect that it had upon him. And as I keep reading, there's going to be more what we would say would be good spiritual truth that he's going to give over time, but yet there's still going to be this continual struggle, almost schizophrenic where it's back and forth at times. Um, and and even it seems like after he says good things, he'll still say, but it's all vanity, <laughs> but it's all empty and no good. Um, and I still continue to lean towards the side that that he's really damaged badly. And even though there's there's some healing or some turning back to God, it's it's still some seemingly permanent damage spiritually um, that I don't think he fully recovered from. Again, even though he's gonna share different times good spiritual truth, there's still a major struggle there. And, and then he falls back into bad things or wrong things that he's sharing. And keeps concluding it's all empty, it's all vain, it's all meaningless. Um, And if you haven't done it, go back and read Proverbs, you know, read Proverbs just with this in mind. And you're like, man, it just can't be any different. There can't be a more stark contrast. And he wrote it, he wrote most of Proverbs. I mean, not the whole thing, but probably what, 70, 80% of Proverbs he wrote. So he had that knowledge and that wisdom. But because of sin, which isn't surprising, and continually continuing to pursue sin, much of it is gone, really. Much of it is not there anymore, um, and it's one of the saddest things. But it's a lesson, and the reason God guided him to record it was so we could learn from it, so that we would not make the same mistake. That Though we may be tempted at times to think, that life apart from God, um, that somehow, and we'll see today, hedonistic particularly, the pursuit of pleasure, that somehow the pursuit of pleasure, but other aspects of life that somehow it could be better or would be better apart from God or will be fine without God. And the answer of Ecclesiastes over and over is it is not. This is where you will end up. You will end up very... Um, impacted your view of life will be skewed terribly and in the negative or bad way. Um and we're in the thick of this here in the first couple chapters. It's the worst here. It's the strongest. And it'll start to mix with other things as it as it goes forward with some good things. But in these first couple chapters it's pretty much all negative and all coming out of this guy who's turned away from God and turned to idolatry and therefore a life apart from God, and he's searching in a sense desperately to find a foundation, desperately to hold on to something or to find true meaning in something in that situation, and he can't find it. And so chapter two is about hedonism, and maybe now I can find meaning in pleasure, in doing the things that feel good to me, and pursuing that with an abandonment um, and it sounds very familiar, doesn't it, to the world in which we live? I mean, in a sense, we parallel <laughs> we're not kings, and we don't have the resources that Solomon has, but in the sense of the modern world and the the our needs being met, having abundance of what we need, and even having more than what we need, being able to pursue. The things he'll talk about, whether it's wealth or whether it's hobbies or whether it's the arts, you know, I don't know that any society in history has ever had the ability and time to pursue those things that we have had, but what's the result? What's the result in our country? You'd think we'd be the happiest, most peaceful, most (laughs) joyful, but we're not because of our sin, of course, and because God is not at the center of it. He's not anywhere to be found in our society more and more. And so it's this warning that, yes, God has given us the ability to enjoy things. He's made really all these things that Saul will talk about for us to enjoy. But he needs to be at the center of it, right? He has to be at the foundation of it. And again, you think of just the basic of the Proverbs, the basic approach. What's at the foundation when when Solomon writes Proverbs? Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord and the truth from God. Here he's trying to find this by experience now, by, we could say, scientific, (laughs) scientific experimentation. He's trying to figure out if this can really give joy and happiness. Um, But in Proverbs, it was revelatory. In Proverbs, it was the fear of the Lord and then the truth that God gives you. That's the means by which, or that's the path to true joy and peace and happiness. And so we have this world, which of course has by and large rejected God and thinks that they'll be fine without him, that we can have this great society and we can have this great life without God and a life full of meaning and joy and purpose. And it's burning in flames, isn't it? I mean, it's burning all around us. The world is, is in, you know, destroying itself. And it isn't finding true joy and meaning. And no one can and we cannot. And we have to know that and therefore resist the temptations that come at times to let other things become more important than God, to put other things at the center of our life and pursue them with the abandon that Solomon does here. But we can know, praise God, if we're believers and we, and we love God's word and we learn it, we can know the easy way, right? He wants to learn us the easy way. That's why he let Solomon 3,000 years ago... Go down this path and write about it so you and I could learn the easy way. Not get sucked into hedonistic pursuits. Not get sucked into letting other pursuits and endless pursuits of pleasure become the center of our lives or the things that we live for. And I think we see it in our day. and We'll talk more about it in so many different ways. Again, you see the world doing this and the temptations are are everywhere Um The other thing about Solomon, remember, and we'll talk about this more as we get to his wealth, but remember he's king, so there's no Congress, (laughs) there's no free press, (laughs) there's no police that are out of his control. He is the authority, Um, part of why this country got established, that there's some weaknesses to that system. So therefore, he gets to do whatever he wants. There's no one to tell him, stop, Solomon. You can't do that. You're hurting those people. You're just being selfish. Nobody can tell him that. He's the king. And as we're going to see, he has incredible wealth. I mean, it is mind-boggling. We'll talk about the talent. I'm sure you all looked that up this week and know how much a talent weighed and how much it's worth today. It's a bunch. <laughs> it's a lot. And he had a he had a lot streaming in. So the guy is... has really, in a a sense, the most wealth you could ever have, the most power, and so the most opportunity to do this. If we're talking a hedonistic pursuit, doing whatever I feel like, whatever pleases me, and in doing so I'm going to find meaning and purpose in life, Solomon had it all. There was nothing, in a sense, that he couldn't do because he had so much money and he had absolute power, so no one could stop him. Um, and he becomes, as we'll see, world famous. We talked about it before as well, in the intro. Um, he does become this incredibly popular and and uh, you know really famous guy worldwide. Everybody's coming. We saw the Queen of Sheba, and others we'll see again are streaming and bringing all their gifts and wanting to hear from him. Um, so the reason to remember that is you and I are serfs, right? I mean, we're we're the commoners. By and large, yes, we're blessed greatly in this country, but again, we're not the affluent, so to speak, or the really wealthy in this country. And so, what God's saying is, if if this man with all his wealth, with all his power, couldn't do this, you can't either. You have even if let's and we we'll, you know even if you succeeded amazingly in your field and you amassed you know some sort of wealth and you had all these possessions. It would be far less than Solomon did. And so again, he's saying, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked that somehow you could still do it, even though Solomon couldn't. He's saying, no, you can't because Solomon didn't. And so often God uses the extreme to say "Any everything less than that is not going to work either. And he did it, I think, with Job in the sense of suffering and the the terrible, I think next to Jesus, Job probably suffered more than any man did in the Bible and the struggles that he had, you know, and and ultimately even challenging God with sin, and how that turned out, of course, no, I was wrong ultimately. He got an audience with God, a literal audience with God, as people sometimes call for when they're struggling and want to curse God, um, and he realized, no, I made a big mistake. you're far greater than I am, and, and I should have never done that. So all of us who suffer not near as much as that can learn and grow from that. And that's the same way with Solomon, that he has the, you know, this extensive amount of power and money, wealth and fame, and yet none of it ends up uh, bringing him fulfillment. We'll look at verse 11 even before we come back in and see, and this is where he's going. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. And he's not saying there was as, there wasn't as much as I thought there would be, <laughs> but there was some. He's, he's not saying that, you know. I just I was disappointed that it wasn't as great as I thought it would be. No, he's saying. I mean, the exhaustiveness of this statement, and it's not unique here. It's going to be repeated. All was vanity and striving after wind. And there was no prophet under the sun. You know, so here he's saying the conclusion is my hedonistic pursuit ended up being a complete bust. It was no good and didn't really come through at all. It didn't give me joy or pleasure or meaning at all. Again, so helpful. Look back at uh, Proverbs, look at Proverbs chapter 3 again. We've seen this a number of times. Question. It's it's amazing how strong he is with that. Mm -hmm. Like, you think that's the work of the Lord, him coming to that conclusion? Because we're surrounded by, I think a lot of people haven't come to that conclusion yet. Well, I think partially they didn't have, they couldn't pursue it as far as he did. Yeah, because they have laws they do have. There is a police force that they are subject to. There are laws they are subject to. They can't do whatever they want. You know, we have a Jeffrey Epstein, not a guy we like to talk about, but he thought he could do, and for a while he did, and he bought off the politicians, and he did horrible things, but eventually the law caught up. Eventually, he gets put in prison and supposedly killed, or no, supposedly commits suicide. Um, But yeah, so I think that's really the difference is that, they don't have the abilities he does here. And therefore there's that carrot. There's that temptation. Oh, well, you know, next year, or if I get this new car, or if my if I get another vacation house in Colorado or Hawaii, or if I get, you know, whatever. There's that temptation that it's gonna finally, I'm finally gonna really have life. This is really gonna be great. So yeah, it's it's just so deceptive and that temptation, that carrot just dangles. <laughs> But he, for however long this goes, had this unlimited ability to do it all. I mean, to do whatever he wanted. And therefore, after this, you know, and I should go back, read verse, I'm sorry, I should have read verse 10. Um, Because how much did he pursue it? Oh, man, all my eyes desired, I did not refuse. Does that sound good or healthy? (laughs) That sounds like. Totally against what the scripture says and what he knew from the Proverbs. All my highs desired, I and we, we'll get back to the concubines, but 300 and 700 wives. He literally did pursue it as whatever he desired. I didn't refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. So, I mean, he just went all out in whatever he every day he wakes up and what he sees he wants to do or what he feels like, what he thinks is going to be wonderful. He does it. And again, there's no law. There's no, nobody saying you can't do that. Nobody's saying stop because he's king. So, yeah. And uh, so all that we'll see, I mean, gives us a taste, but doesn't even give us the fullness of what he must have done. I mean, in how many years he did this, we're not told. But man, I mean, we'll talk about a few of the rich people in our world and the things excesses they do, and end up blowing up in their face. But he outdid them, I'm sure, by a thousand times or whatever. You know, whatever um, he went all out. But in Proverbs three, again, same guy, same writer, most likely decades earlier. So probably in the beginning of his reign, as he's building the temple, and he's got God gave him this wisdom, and he's actually living according to this wisdom. I mean, it's just. Totally different. Again, um, verse 1, he's exhorting his son, Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let my kindness and truth leave you. None of this stuff you find here at all. Bind them around your neck, write them on the table of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man you'll find favor and good in the sight of God. And man, this is a blessing. This is going to be a good thing. Hang on to this. Really take this seriously. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Is that happening for Solomon right now? Not at all. He is not trusting the Lord. He is not following the Lord. God is not making his path straight. He has completely gone off the trail, way off the trail. But he wrote this. Decades earlier, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from the wealth, from your wealth. Again, we're going to see he's serving himself. He's all about what he wants. Here, honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of your produce. so Your bars will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof, which I think clearly he was not... Re- accepting anymore he was not listening to the reproof we won't go there but first kings 11 talks about all the discipline that the people that started to attack Solomon in the kingdom because of his sin for him the lord loves he reproves even his father corrects in whom he delights again verse 13 how blessed is the man who finds wisdom the man who gains understanding for her prophet is better than the profit of silver her gain is better than fine gold she is more precious than jewels nothing you desire compares with her Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. And he goes on to talk about her part in creation. Um, Beautiful, wonderful, true. We know that it's true, and he knew it was true. But his sin, his great sin... Um, of pursuing these foreign wives and them turning his heart away to idols, you know, really corrupted this. And he, whether he even remembers it, I mean, he's got it written down. But I mean, we come to chapter two, it's just not there. He's hedonistically, I'm going to pursue whatever I feel like, whatever seems good to me. Um, and with, again, this idea that maybe this will give me peace give me joy or meaning, and there's just no mention of God here. No thanking God, no giving God the credit for the resources, no saying, I'm going to do this for God's glory. I'm doing this for the good of others. None of that is here. It's all about me, myself, and I in capital letters. um, And he's going to do this all in. So as we come back to verse 3 and 4, we already saw with the wine. Again, these are things that are good. The scripture says good things about wine and the blessing that it can be uses it good comparison, but of course, in moderation and under control, and the proverbs we have seen condemn the drunkard and strong drink when you get out of control and I take it here he's probably getting out of control, just letting it go where he even talks about taking hold of folly to see if that how that goes um so I think there's good possibility that was going on here um, takes something that could be good but pursues it to, man, if I really go after this, whether it'll give me joy and, and wonderful things. Then verse 4, he turns to his works. And, you know, I compare this to both possessions, but also a hobby. And obviously the blessing of pursuing things that we enjoy or hobbies that God may just interests that we have. And the blessing that we can have in those interests but if they're completely self-centered, and again, if they take the place of God or they're apart from God, then they become corrupting and destructive. And so here, these aren't necessarily bad things, but it's all for himself. Verse 1, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I mean, he says it that way. He doesn't even just say, I built houses. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, but he's adding to every phrase, for myself. This is all for him. This is what he's driven by at this point. That's what hedonism is. It's the pursuit of pleasure as a, a means to true joy or peace or happiness. It's defined different ways, true meaning, but it's it's pleasure at the center of life and and for myself. And the world tries to define this like, you can do that as long as you don't hurt anybody. <laughs> you know, that's a great thing, as long as you don't hurt anybody. The problem is you do hurt people uh, because it's selfish. When you're self-centered and selfish, that's one of the blessings of salvation, isn't it? That by Christ, we can see the sin of selfishness and we get, we can put other people before ourselves. We can put their needs before ourselves. We can forgive when others wrong us, we can love someone else doing what's best, sometimes having to reprove, but other times seeking ways to lift them up and help them. That's a beautiful, wonderful part of life. But when we turn to hedonism, pleasure apart from God and pleasure at the center of life, my pleasure, it becomes an ugly thing and really a destructive thing. Initially, we don't see that, but I think we'll see it later on. Still, he's doing all these projects just for himself. These aren't, it would seem, public projects. I'm building, you know, parks for everybody to enjoy. (laughs) He's saying, I did this for myself. Um, Vineyards for myself, gardens and parks for myself. Planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which irrigated a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and it it goes on. How many of you have been to the Biltmore? How many have been to the Biltmore mansion? Yeah, it's 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 worth going. Sadly, it's gotten quite expensive. It's owned by the the uh today's Biltmore, or uh yeah, whoever it was, again, the, the family, but uh so it's kind of expensive, but it's it's amazing. It's just a gigantic structure. You can get online and see pictures, and the gardens that go with it are beautiful, amazing, just huge and ponds, and, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of acres it is. It used to be 100,000 acres, the whole thing. But back in the early 1900s, 5 million back then, which is, who knows, billions now or something, um, to build that thing, has like 30 or 40 bedrooms. Um, it has pipe organs in the dining room. I definitely want a pipe organ in my mansion heaven in heaven in the dining room. <laughs> that would be incredible. But... uh uh, it's it's a huge structure, but obviously, um, and, and the gardens, but very few people would have ended up getting to see it back in the day or go there. I mean, they certainly had guests and people would have come and seen it, but as far as the public or the general people, no, it was just for them. They spent all that money, all that time, all that effort for something just for them. You may have heard of the Hearst Castle in California, up on the cliffs of the Pacific and Hearst, who was a owned a lot of magazine or a lot of newspapers in, in the country and is was in the silent movie business. But he built this huge castle up there. And he also was an art collector, so went over to Europe after World War II, bought a bunch of art and such, almost went broke building it and putting art in there. But again, just he had four other properties, um, but it was again mainly for himself. And for his glory and for his pleasure. And that's the sense that you get here that he's doing all this stuff for himself. Even this idea of multiple houses. I mean, how many houses can you need or use? And yet, multiple houses that, and, and the rich tend to do that. And then vacation homes in Europe or other places. You'll see sometimes movie stars and, and their millions and how they're buying different places. That idea. Uh, for him. Again, you know, hobby perhaps, you know, beautiful thing, but yet apart from God, God's not at the center of it. And I think today people are doing the same thing. Things that they enjoy, and yet they pursue them to the exclusion of God, and ultimately they're going to come to the same conclusion, that it was empty and meaningless. People in sports, people enjoy sports, and yet you know, they make it this, you know, ultimate pursuit, the thing they spend so much time on every week. So they can be the best and they can really succeed. I know I've heard of families with teens and they'll they'll have them on these travel teams. Every weekend they're traveling, months on end, going to play this sport so they can be the best. They can get the college scholarship. They can be famous or whatever, make all the money. They're letting something that can be fun or enjoyable, but they're driving it to the point of just this consuming thing. And of course, leaving God out. Even at times Christian quote Christian families, you're like, how, are you, how is this affecting your child or your teenager spiritually? If you're letting this happen, it's not going to be good for them. They're obviously not going to be in church. So they're not going to be with other believers. They're not going to be under good teaching. You're letting this be their God ultimately. Yes, if it's done for enjoyment and in balance, that's one thing, but when it becomes this all-consuming thing, um, it can be this very destructive and really bad thing. I think of world travel and people, or or even travel itself, more people it seems, you know, maybe you've heard about the tiny house revolution and people buying tiny houses and I'm not sure how that really works, if that works well or not anyway, especially if you start having children. I don't think it'll work very well. But uh, they'll often say they're doing it so they can travel, but they end up getting one that's really hard to pull and get somewhere else. But this idea, we're we're all about traveling. We're all about going to see places. Um, And again, is God a part of that? Usually not. It's usually this we love to see places and that's gonna be our life. So we're gonna get this tiny house so we can just travel all the time. And maybe we'll work remotely and we can work and just travel. Well, again, travel's not wrong in itself, and we have the privilege and blessing to see different places, go on vacation or whatever, enjoy some time off and, and recharge, relax. But when you make it the driving thing in your life that this is really what our life is gonna be, this is really what Uh, will make us happy and and give us joy or fulfillment. It can't, it won't. And you fill in the blank, whatever, again, good hobbies, good things that we can enjoy and do, but if we let that become our God and that becomes the center of life, God's not there, then we're going to end up where Solomon does. We're going to end up saying it all was meaningless, it all is empty, there was no profit under the sun, he moves on to number uh, verse seven. I bought male and female slaves uh, born slaves. So how does that work in today's world? Well, we have conveniences, don't we? <laughs> in, in a sense, we don't need slaves or servants because we have vacuum cleaners and um, dishwashers clothes, washers, and dryers. We have cell phones. We have cars and, and other things. You know, before that was all the case, the uh, Industrial Revolution, you had to have people usually help you. Or in this case, you had slaves. You bought slaves, people that would do that those tasks and work for you. Um, and then he says, I possess flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. So... Again, those things are really a, can be a great blessing, can't they? We all have them by and large and use them. But again, if they become this consuming pursuit, um, that boy, through my tech, my gadgets, through my conveniences, having more and more, always having to have the latest one and, and the expense of that, um, that somehow that's really going to make my life meaningful. It won't happen. It, it won't fulfill that. I possess flocks, herds, larger than all who preceded me. And this would have been part of the wealth that he's going to flow into, this incredible wealth that certainly would have provided also the food that he needed and that they needed. He had a huge, obviously we'll see a thousand wives and concubines and household and the food required for that, but also the wealth that he had. Um, I had all these huge flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me. Uh, tremendous wealth that he had. You think of Job and really what made Job the richest man of the East, it was by and large his herds and all the different flocks of animals or uh, size of those flocks that he had that ultimately were all burned up or stolen or taken from him. So back in that time, that would have been a major symbol of your wealth, um, of how rich you were, and here he has he says, bigger than anyone before me, I had all these flocks. Verse 8, I collected for myself silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. And he had a lot. He should have just left the silver out because <laughs> we already saw that in that day there was so much gold, silver was worthless. Silver didn't really account for anything. But jump back to First Kings 10. 1 Kings 10, and we just get a sense of how much gold he's getting here on an annual basis. And this doesn't even count. The Queen of Sheba gave him 120 talents of gold, and he had some other ships, and it may be included in this figure, we're bringing 400 talents at the end of chapter 9. But here in chapter 10 of 1 Kings verse 14, now the weight of the gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. And you should know that's bad already because that's a terrible number, right? Just kidding. It is a bad number in Revelation, but it's not here necessarily. But um, anybody want to take a stab at how heavy one talent of gold was? Yeah? Nice. How many pounds is that? (laughs) I wouldn't know except I looked it up 75 oh somebody's got it back there 75 good job 75 pounds of gold so you look at the amount of an ounce today it's close to two thousand dollars so that's 75 pounds he's getting 660 talents a year so one talent today 75 pounds would be worth two million bucks so one talent is worth $2 million. So the 120 he got from the Queen of Sheba is worth $240 million. The 666 talents is worth $1 trillion, $1.3 trillion. We don't even know what that means. I know. Yeah. So every year he's getting 1.3. He's getting a good share of our national budget, if we even have one anymore, but <laughs> our national. That's a lot of money—one point three trillion dollars. Now I found it interesting. The same website mentioned how much, how many talents David stored up and gave for the temple. I did not remember how much this was. Anybody remember how many talents he gave? A hundred thousand. A hundred thousand talents that's worth 190 trillion dollars today that's how much he gave um, and he gave 1 million talents of silver which it says is worth 21 trillion today so needless to say this guy was filthy rich he would have put our billionaires to shame i think probably i mean it would seem cuz of course the cost of goods would have been much less back then right i mean way back then <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, what you could buy with a nickel. What you could, yeah, what you could buy with a nickel. A uh, hundred bucks for a car, um, or a, a chariot, I should say. But uh, so he had a lot of money and resource. Um, again, back in verse 8 of chapter 2, I collected for myself silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. Um, again, that temptation is still there, isn't it? It's there to take, again, the job that is going to just be overwhelming and crush your time and family and and even spiritually. But man, if I take that job, I'll make so much money. I'll get rich. And just think of all that I could do with that. Usually there's that other temptation. Man, I could give so much back to God or I could do all this with it, but not thinking, wait a second, what will this do to me? How will this affect me spiritually? Um, and that temptation to let the love of money, putting money at the center of life, letting it drive your decisions, let it be making it the top of your priority, instead of yes, God uses money and gives us money and we use that for to meet our needs and function with it. But yet, it's it's as a result of God's grace and gift, and we use it wisely and we thank Him for that. But we make wise decisions so that it doesn't control us. Here, He's getting tons of money. And obviously, um, you know, spending on all kinds of things and buying all kinds of things. Ultimately, he goes on. I provided for myself male and female singers. Um, hear the art, the world of art. Probably not my strength as far as going to the you know concert, going to see the symphony, um, finding the the nice, even expensive dramas. Um, all the arts and crafts music scene that is out there. But I do love, of course, Christian music. Of course, I'm kind of dated and my favorites, although some of you have introduced me to newer ones, which has been good. Um, I still remember Joshua a number of years ago, got me a a birthday present to go see some of my very favorite singers down in Fayetteville. I know you're all young people are going to know these names, but Michael Card, I'm sure is one of your favorites on your playlist. And, uh, was Sandy Patty was there, I believe, and Steve Green was there. I mean, so I grew up with the, as teens. These were like the Christian music singers, and so he got me tickets, and he got me the inner circle, so I got to go meet him, which is like, whoa, this is incredible. Um, and they they sounded really good. They were quite old, but they sounded really good, older than they were. Let's just put it that way. They're probably my age back then or something, old. But they sounded good. They were really good and it was really fun. But imagine living for that. Imagine that was your world and getting to the next concert and, and getting to the, the ticket to the next famous singer and being at this or that. He had the best. I provided for myself male and female, no Napster, no iTunes, you know, but he had live musicians and the best, I'm sure, that you could have and got to enjoy that. and. Again, thinking somehow this would be that which would give meaning and real purpose in life. And finally, many concubines. And of course, we know God's given the sexual relationship for marriage and the blessing between one man and one woman. Again, Solomon knew that, didn't he? Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, and I take it earlier in his life, and with whether it's his first or one of the first wives he had, writes that song, and it's very graphic and praises the blessing of that relationship and the joy of marriage um, as a beautiful thing. But here, many concubines, um, and that's an understatement, isn't it? We're not talking 10 or 30 or 50. I mean, it's just been settling into me what that was. I mean, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I don't know if there's a way to justify that or a way to say that somehow that works, that that would be good in any way or under any circumstance. And it was just like, I mean, even how long that would take for that to happen. And all the women that he's seeing and then deciding he wants in his harem. Um, and then what does that do to them? You know what does it do to their life? Again, the Bible doesn't go into those details, but I can't imagine it's good ultimately that you're one of hundreds ultimately um, and you know we struggle today obviously with a very sensual society and pornography and other things. I mean in his situation with the money he had and the power he had, he just obviously over a number of years, who knows how long um a thousand women that is it is a lot it's um not good ultimately um here even this he pursues with as he said i didn't withhold anything from myself anything from my heart and again those temptations and the the thinking that that would please that that would be something that would give meaning in life um and yet even that did not. Verse 9, he became famous, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom stood by me. Again, he's saying that we can see it's not true. He's not acting wisely here. He's not doing, living the way he, the wisdom he was given and the wisdom he wrote down. I think he's deceiving himself here. My wisdom stood by me when it clearly is not. He's Going down these really bad paths, but he became famous. Uh, come down come back to First Kings chapter 10. We saw this before, but good to remind ourselves. First Kings 10, verse 23. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They brought each every man his gift: articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And it talks about the chariots. And then verse twenty-seven: the king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. He made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowlands. Um, becomes incredibly wealthy and comp- and very famous. Um. And again, thinking this is going to really be meaningful in life. This is what it's really going to be all about. You no, know, do you ever give thanks that you're not rich and wealthy and famous? Do you ever thank the Lord for that? You should. <laughs> you should. It's a blessing. Not many people can handle this kind of fame and wealth, and Solomon didn't, but even today, not many do. Um, how many of you know the name Tiger Woods? You know, uh, probably one of the richest, most famous golfers in in my lifetime. And, you know, things have not gone well for him because of that wealth and the things. He's not a believer, of course, either whether he's Buddhist or something, I don't remember. But he, you know, uses that. he's used that money for very sinful things and destroyed his, his family and all kinds of bad things coming out of that because of the wealth and the fame and the pride that is usually comes with that and the temptations multiply um here solomon because of this wealth he doesn't handle it well, well tiger was, it doesn't matter because it's based on how yeah <laughs> so it doesn't matter a lot. each comeback is getting harder <laughs> the last crash and the resulted messed up leg is making it a lot harder so uh, yeah yeah, his life is just a mess, and you know, hear Solomon being so wealthy, and that's part of what he sadly then uses to do so much wrong, so much sin that he ends up doing and turning away from the Lord, um, and of course, there's warnings we've seen in Scripture about wealth and the danger. It's not automatically wrong. Believers at times are wealthy or have more funds, um, but it is it can be a great temptation and so, you know, at times when I see even some of these wealthy people, you know, and and the uh, sin or, or the terrible things that happen because of their misuse or their wrong handling of it, I'm just thankful that I'm just a commoner and that my needs are met and I'm a believer. That's the bigger, even bigger thing. The scripture talks about how rare or how hard it is for the rich to be saved in the first place because their money is their protection and and their pride that comes with that money. Um, So really just thankful um, not to be really rich or or really famous. Um, But again, just this glaring red flag, this glaring red warning, flashing warning. um, Apart from God, you cannot find true joy, peace, or happiness in hedonism, in the pursuit of pleasure, no matter how great no matter how extensive, if you had the Biltmore House and all the gardens and and flowers and everything that that they did there, or the the Hearst Castle here, you have all that Solomon did. Again, we just get a brief description and not the maybe the full extent. You know, it didn't matter. It didn't help. The only path to joy and peace and fulfillment and meaning is God, is the fear of the Lord that he had written back that we read in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's to know him and learn his ways and to follow him. That is the only means from which that will come. And so really, again, it just leads us hopefully as a believer to contentedness, contentedness and joy you know, to rejoice in God's gift of salvation, rejoice in his work in our lives, rejoice in his provision of our needs, and really to keep him at the center of our lives and and give thanks for his goodness. And again, Ecclesiastes, what a blessing that we can read it and just give us that greater protection, that greater armor against these temptations that will come, that do come at us from a world that is consumed by that, a world that is has gone down this path, is running down this path. If I just can get rich, if I can just get famous, if I can just have this possession, or if I can just do these things, man, life is going to be incredible. That lie, that deception is alive and well and very powerful. And for us as believers, we are exposed. We get tempted. Um, and so these truths, we can come back here and say, no, wait a second, <laughs> I'm being tempted to think If I had this or make this wrong decision, letting money or pleasure or possessions have the wrong priority in my life, come back to Ecclesiastes 2. And the richest guy, the most powerful guy, perhaps to ever uh, live in this life, to ever rule, um, says, no, it doesn't work. I tried it with intensity, with drive. I tried it for however long and it didn't work. It all burned down to nothing. It all was. And we're going to go on next week and see that all kinds of things continue to get affected in his life, even how he views how life ends and his lack of seemingly any understanding of what happens after life, and his fear of legacy and just all these things that kind of go along with some of this stuff. Uh, we'll see more and more as we go on. So, any last thoughts or questions? But great reminder here, powerful in chapter two Joseph. Yeah, um, I had a thought on verse nine where it says, Also, my wisdom remains with me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that maybe he was misled or not thinking about it properly, but I was wondering if it was referring to like worldly wisdom versus like godly wisdom because like he was very wise in the sense of like his knowledge of things. Yeah. So I was wondering if it's referring more. And he, had, even though he turned away from God, he was he was still wise in the sense of like he knew a lot, and he was able to share that with people and stuff. But it was just that in itself, which can be good or positive. But without God, it wasn't good. Yeah, it does come back to what does it mean that it stood by him, and whether that means it's what's guiding i guess i took it more in the sense of that's what's gui- it's still guiding him or he's still using it versus just having the facts of it or something like that that more somehow cuz even earlier he tried to say um in verse 3 i explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely how to take hold of folly which again is anathema with proverbs <laughs> wisely and how to take hold of folly so I could see what good there was. Um, so that's what makes it tough for me to think that he—that it's the good wisdom. Um, now the other question, part of your question is, is it worldly wisdom he's referring to? And, and the hard part with seeing that is that he has had this great wisdom and he's known for it, he's famous for it. So that's what's hard for me to think that he's necessarily then now switching the meaning here to just worldly wisdom and not the other wisdom. But yeah, I'd have to think more about that. Feedback on that. Is it the fact that he's using his brains to now evolve into this, pursuing the scientific method and going through these experiments to try and find that happiness where he's still smart, but he's just using it in a different direction. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And I, he definitely thinks that's the case. Um, and that and that would lead it towards more the idea of worldly wisdom or just smarts versus true biblical wisdom. It's just the challenge for in my thinking is is he is that what he's actually trying to say or is he really still trying to say I haven't lost the wisdom I had I haven't lost that and I'm still using that to make sure I'm going down this in in a in a good or healthy way I mean he's deceiving himself if that's the case. That's kind of more the way I've seen it. But so he's got a PhD, but he could be used yeah. for various purposes now. Yeah. As opposed to true. the true course. yeah, Yeah. Good question, though. Good question, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. Thank you for, even though it's sad and heartbreaking, even though it's Solomon going way off the rails and doing what he, in the Proverbs, and from what you gave him knew was not was a path of foolishness was a path of ultimate spiritual destruction chose to go down it because of his sin and <clears throat> idolatry but lord thank you for having him write it thank you that we could learn from it tonight and continue to to study it and lord i pray that it would really strengthen our armor that it would give us much greater protection that breastplate of righteousness would be an inch thicker or more that as the fiery darts come, as we are tempted to sometimes be jealous of those better off than we are, or those uh, more famous, or more powerful, or whatever the case may be, that Lord, we'd come back and remember chapter 2, and therefore be content. Be content if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, and a child of the King, and be content with your provision, and rejoice in the wisdom that Proverbs does give, and that really gives us the blessing and joy and peace in life, even through struggle. Lord, thank you for 3,000 years later that this has been preserved, that we can continue to dig into it and think about it and study it and learn from it. Father, we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.